0: I'm going to start off by quoting our eight-year-old granddaughter. She was coming into our, they were visiting us, and she was coming into our daughter's house, and she slipped and on the ice, and she stood up, and she said, well, that was not the entrance I planned to make. <laughs> so, so that was not the entrance I planned to make. Uh, good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. It's, um, you know, it doesn't seem a lot different than 2022 so far, but we'll see what happens. And it's always the case that in January you, you look back, you look ahead, you try to figure out you know, things. So I want to look back just a little bit on um, the church from the last year. And I'll tell you right off the bat that I have no authority to do this. I'm not on the leadership team, I'm not one of the pastors, I'm not. This is the Phillips unauthorized version of what's going on. But here's what I see. So 2020 and 2021 were brutal. They, they were brutal. They, they, brutal for us as a church, brutal for the church broadly, brutal for society as a whole. And the whole time you're thinking, well, by faith, I think we're being pruned. On the other hand, it could just be we're being cut down. And, but I, by faith, I think we're being pruned. And how are you going to know? Well if you're being pruned, it'll, come, it'll grow back. And it'll grow back, and it'll grow back healthier and different, but it will be healthier. So you start looking around, and I started looking around this year at Cascade Covenant, I thought, hey, we may be getting healthier. There are faces of people here I don't recognize. That's a good thing. Um, people I don't know the story. You don't know your story yet, and that's a good thing. There are... Um, if you, I mean, I, I mean, the leadership team talk about the giving and so on, but we got a new roof and we got new, a new new foyer, which is great, which is much better than it works much better, and so things like that. Um, you know, we can't. We, you look at the. You can't look at numbers, although you always do, because we all know there are churches that have lots of people and that are spiritually unhealthy. And there are churches that don't have a lot of people that are quite spiritually healthy, so that's not an indicator, but it is one indicator. And if you so, if we came to the um, uh, trunkathon, is that what it was called, the, the Halloween thing, and and this place was packed. You know, they tell me that for a rest stop, but we don't, we're not, we haven't been involved in a rest stop. But, it's, but this, they whole area is packed. If if you come for the for the for the potlucks that we have after some of the services, like the taco dinner and the chili cook-off and the other things. There are a lot of people here. We have to, we're putting out more tables for people. And those are good signs. I think that we're, I think we're, I think I'm, I'm, I'm actually optimistic about what I'm seeing, which is a different thing for me because my natural personality is to say, well, wait a minute. It's only temporarily good. The disaster is waiting to happen any time. You know, my, my, you know, it's not my personality to be optimistic um, at all, but I'm optimistic, and I think a lot of it is the it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. It's been, and I'll give credit to the people, even though it may and may not, they may not take it themselves. You know, but Dan and Angela have been constant and consistent in their commitment to the, the body of Christ and to, to serving God, the, other, the leadership team, the others in position of authority and I think we're starting to see some of the fruit I've been wrong before there will be more sadness and more things coming up in the, in the new year but I think there's also a fruitfulness coming in the new year we'll see Last um, last year, just January, Dan gave a sermon in which he introduced a, a concept of time called, using the Greek word kairos. And I don't know if you remember this. It was about listening to God, hearing God, responding to God, and, and how do we hear God, how do we respond to God. And it, although the Greek word kairos is is not familiar to us. uh, The concept of time really is. We have chronological time, you know, January 1st, December 31st, January 2nd. So chronological time is, um, that's determined by physical phenomena. The rotation of the earth on its axis, the the revolutions around the sun. If you think of life as a music or a symphony, chronological time is the rhythm section. It just boom, 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 steady. It's a steady, you know. know. But then there's the kairos time, the Greek kairos time, where where suddenly it's in a sudden event and it changes things. We have the same idea. You know, uh, um, for example, we would say, well, today is the day. Today's the day. And that's that's a kairos kind of expression, right? On New Year's Day and today, we try to make a match up that we have resolutions and hopes for the new year and so on, as if we're trying to fuse the thing. When I was in, I haven't been in a college dormitory in a long time, but many years ago when I was in a college dormitory, maybe you still see them, there would be posters up that would say, today is the first day of of the rest of your life, right? Well, I mean, tomorrow's the first day of the rest of your life too, and yesterday was the first day of your. Life. But, but you know, but today is—it's the idea that we're try- that we're trying to something significant is going to happen. And this term is t- t- Kairos has entered into a lot of general usages, but for followers of Christ, it has a very specific meaning, and it means—or not specific. It means that it's a time or a moment when we encounter the presence of God. And it changes something in our lives. We respond and it changes something. If I could have the first slide. So, um, because of all the New Year's and all the things, I wasn't very good at taking notes. so, uh, So, it's a time when we know that eternity is always happening. That God has a plan. He's worked it out from eternity past to eternity future. It's, it's occurring in this thing. Meanwhile, we're living in chronological time and ticking it away. And, and so some a Christian writer, and I apologize, I don't know the source. Um, it could even have been Dan himself, I'm not sure. Um, said, defined it as an invasion of eternity into present tense a sacred and holy interruption in our everyday life with an invitation to partner with God in the coming kingdom. So when Dan introduced that concept to us last January, that became sort of a recurring theme for us throughout the year. That is, how do we hear God? How do we respond to God? As he talked about the, the great... Jesus statements, Jesus on Jesus statements, what are known as the I am statements of John. You know, I am the true vine; you are the branches, and so on. Um, and those statements. Then we talked about the kingdom of God. You know, a really slippery concept, but but we but w- that was what we were talking about: was seeing and hearing God and responding to what He was doing. We talked about we did the, uh, the Holy Spirit, which is of course crucial to this whole thing. And then, and then he talked about, then we went to the Beatitudes. And, and, um, and then in Advent, making room, for, making room in Advent. All of these are times when we know that God is always active, always active in the world around us. And occasionally, we recognize it occasionally, it's like the curtain gets pulled back and we say, whoa. Huh. It doesn't, you know, maybe it's more than occasional for some of us. For some of us, it's very occasional. Maybe it's... Um, it's, it's these times when, for in my view of it, we suddenly see that, that God is at work in a broader sense than we understand, and we're invited to be part of it. That is... An invasion of eternity into the present tense. The present tense is our lives, but eternity is what invades us. As we look at Luke's narrative of the nativity, and so today is the last of the nativity messages, so far it's focused on three principal people and their kairos moments. Zechariah, an, old, an elderly priest, his wife Elizabeth. So each of them had a kairos moment when God, in the form of an angel, spoke to them, appeared to them, and their lives were changed forever. And then Mary, probably a teenager, but a teenage girl, a, teen- a young woman. Uh, if, so those three kairos moments have set up the, the narrative, as Luke does it. If you go into Matthew and look at the, his nativity narrative, he also includes uh, Joseph, but Luke does not. But, so, so this time, today, the story expands beyond these family members, beyond Zechariah, beyond, beyond Elizabeth, beyond Mary, and we're going to see three more Kairos moments. All right, so let me just call this up and read it to you. All right, so Luke chapter 2... Starting in verse 8. That's the, yeah, that's the next. I can't. i got to figure out how I can see the slides. when I. You know, so I can't see the slides. All right. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them." Very familiar. We have shepherds in all of our Christmas pageants. All of our nativity scenes have shepherds in them and so on and so on. And you probably imagine that it's going to be something like this, if I could show you the next slide. Because this is what we think. The, you know, this is what I grew up thinking. Well, this is what the fields look like. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat, You know, I don't know anything about being a shepherd. I was in a field with a flock of sheep once. Um, My daughter-in-law is a a very accomplished knitter. That's as close as I get to knowing about sheep and shepherding. That's it. So what I'm telling you, I don't know what I'm talking about. Except, so we imagine this is what the fields looked like. This is what I grew up imagining. But actually in 2019, Deb and I went to Israel. And this is actually what they do look like. If I can have the next slide. So that's Jerusalem in the background. We're standing in Bethlehem. That's the field. It's extremely rocky. It's full of caves. It's very hilly. Um, and that's where they were. By Jewish tradition, uh, which we have no way to verify, that was, that was also the field of Boaz in, this, in the uh, book of Ruth. Right? But that's what it looked like. So that's where the shepherds were out there. And they were out there tending their flock. And like I say, I don't know anything about shepherds, but if you think about what they were doing, they were basically security guards. They were out there saying, well, you know, tending the flock. So you say, "I well, come home from work and say, well, was it a good day at work? Oh, yeah, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, nothing happened. I mean, you don't go to work if you're a shepherd, you know, expecting great things to happen. You don't want animals to come and steal your sheep. You don't want the sheep to wander off. You don't want, you don't want thieves to come in. You don't want... You know, if nothing happens, that's a good day at work. Except something happened. They probably were not expecting it. I can't imagine these shepherds... And again, they could very well have been teenage boys. In 2019, when we were, when we were there, we saw shepherds. They were teenage boys wearing hoodies with cell phones. Probably not an accurate picture of what they were like in the first century, but you know, teenage boys, maybe. All right. Um, and they don't, they, they don't, I'm sure they didn't clock in that day saying, Do you think today the angels are going to show up? Do you think God's going to come today? Is this the day that, you know, I'm sure they didn't. But, they had no reason to expect this. They had no reason to think that shepherds were going to be part of the Messiah story at all. Shepherds were a familiar image in the Old Testament, a common image in the Old Testament, but they're out in the field. The Messiah is coming. You know, Jerusalem's right around the corner, right over the hill, or right on top of the hill. You know, if if the Messiah is coming, and if the if the coming of the Messiah is only to teach us things, well, wouldn't he show up in the synagogue? Or if the coming of the Messiah is only to refine the religion and refulfill the religion, wouldn't he have shown up in the temple? If the coming of the Messiah was only to reorganize society and set political things correct, wouldn't he have shown up in the in the house of of the of the of the emperor, the governor, and so on? Wouldn't that have been what what happened? So, if the coming of Messiah was only to do those things and it was to accomplish all of those things, but so much more, and it began in a field. Well, it didn't begin, but it was announced in a field of rocks with a bunch of teenage boys, or what we think of as teenage boys. Now, I don't mean to be critical. I used to be a teenage boy. Many of my friends used to be teenage boys. It's not like teenage boys are the most reliable witnesses. You don't generally want to tell teenage boys things and expect it to be... They're not social influencers, right? Generally speaking. At least in my day, they weren't. And so why to the shepherds? Because it's to all people. Good news to all people. So the kairos moment occurs. God breaks into their present tense and they respond. And how do they respond? They don't, they weren't prepared. They certainly weren't prepared for this. They don't hesitate. They don't debate. What do you think? They go to Bethlehem. They respond with praise. They respond with the worship of God. And they tell others. And when they go to Bethlehem, what do they see? A newborn baby a pretty ordinary newborn baby um, with rather ordinary parents. But an extraordinary event has occurred, and they can see it through the eyes of their faith. What's in front of them is a newborn baby, but what's been told to them is this baby is the Messiah, and that's what they tell others. Okay, let's move on. to the, That's the first Kairos moment. All right, let's move on to starting in verse 22. So the next slide. And when time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem. So they probably had stayed right around the Bethlehem and brought him up there. To to present to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said. So so this is the next Kairos moment. This one occurs 40 days later. 40 days after the birth of of the firstborn child. They would have brought him in to the ceremony of purification. And you can. so uh, Mary and Joseph, it's clear they're poor. They're supposed to bring a lamb for this. But... And they had a lamb, they just didn't know it yet. Um, But there was a special permission for those who were poor to bring turtle doves or pigeons instead. So, So they did that. And there was Simeon. Simeon had been in the temple praying. He was devout, he was righteous, he was praying for the coming of the Messiah. So he was prepared for the Messiah to show up. He'd been preparing himself for years for the Messiah to show up. How many, how many people do you think he saw? How many boys had he seen come in? He probably would have seen thousands, hundreds for sure. But somehow the Holy Spirit said to him, this one is this boy, this baby, is the Messiah. And what's he see? A six-week-old baby. Now, if you're going to see a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel, it'd be good if the baby wasn't taking five naps a day and maybe even could feed themselves. But Simeon, by eyes of faith, sees this baby. And it's a Kairos moment for him. And he responds. All right. Now, then we go on to the next one. Uh, verse 33. 33, 34. And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword that will pierce through your own soul as well. You can imagine a mother thinking of these things. So that these thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Then we go on. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenol, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption. So Simeon was at the temple. Anna was at the temple. Elderly people... They had been waiting for the Messiah, praying and waiting faithfully. They are prepared. Unlike the shepherds, who had no expectation that Messiah was going to show up in their lives, Simeon and Anna were prepared. They, they prepared every day. They're devout and observant Jews. They were looking for years for this eternity to invade their present tense. But it has not yet happened. But when it happens, they respond with worship and great joy. I gained a new understanding, appreciation of Simeon and Anna from a a friend of mine. And I'll tell you the story. In our former church in suburban Philadelphia, this friend would go at 6.30 every morning to the building and pray. He had been doing it before we arrived. He was doing it after we left, so at least 25 years. Every day, six days a week. Sunday was a little different routine, but six days a week he went and he prayed. He had different people who prayed every day with him. My regular day was Friday, um, and I would go with him and we'd pray together. And while we would pray for the things you would expect to pray for our families and our jobs and things of that sort. We also, would; pr- he would pray consistently for the coming of the Holy Spirit and for the revival in the church. Every single time. Every day. For at least 25 years. That's like Simeon and Anna. It was a tremendous lesson to me to be faithful, to be patient, to be expecting things, to See God at work. Tremendous lesson. But there's another lesson, and I don't want to say this as a criticism by any means. But my friend, he, had, he knew about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He had read about church revivals, he had read about spiritual coming and so on. He had been to other churches where these had occurred. So he had a very clear expectation of what this was going to look like. He knew what it was. This is how it worked in this church, this is how it worked in Wales in 1900, this is how it worked, you know, this is how it worked in these various places. He was really knowledgeable about revivals and the coming of the Holy Spirit. At the time, I was leading a Sunday school, an adult Sunday school class, and he he was in it. And and so there are people in it that we knew. And we would say, you know, I would say to him, you know, know, this woman in our class, she was furious at the church. She she was never going to go to church again. But she sort of edged her way back in, just quietly, and now she's serving in the kitchen, she's serving in this, she's serving in this, she's serving in this. Huh, the Holy Spirit has come. It's reviving the church. Or this person, or this person, or this person. And I could point to, you know, because it wasn't that big. Our class was, I don't know, 30-some people. And, and I could point to the people, and, and he knew them, and I knew them. And you could say, the Holy Spirit has, in, has done a work. It's reviving the church. It may not look like what you expect, but it's reviving the church. What would Simeon and Anna have expected from the, when God came? When God came in the Old Testament, what happened? Well, there was a burning bush. <laughs> there was a pillar of fire. There was a cloud. There was, you know, there was a whole uh, fire coming down and burning up a sacrifice. There was a lot of fire. But Simeon and Anna did not let their expectations blind them to what God was really doing. He, And sometimes I think for all of us, we come with such expectations into the church. This is what God should do. This is what God should do. Why can't we see what God's doing? And it can blind us to see what's really going on. Simeon and Anna did not fall into that trap. Eternity is always present, always present. The life we live is the temporary one. It's the shadow lands. It's the the temporary one. But at times when God invades our present tense or takes over our everyday activities and confronts us, allows us to see there's a greater purpose than this, a greater sense of his presence, that he is inviting us to partner with him in his coming kingdom. Not everyone responds. Even if you don't know much about art, and I don't, you're familiar with nativity paintings. There are thousands of them. You know, They have Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger, and they maybe have some animals around, and they have the shepherds, and sometimes they have the magi there, although they came a couple years later. And and know, I have other things, and you've seen thousands of these paintings. You may have, a nativity set in your house. Um, yeah. All right. You know what they're like. A few years ago, uh, and we weren't sure, we, went, we couldn't remember where it was, but we, it might have been Florence. But we, were, we, we went into an art museum, and I should point out that Deb and I were first generation in our family's art museum goers. Uh, <laughs> and we discovered we kind of liked it when we were adults. So, huh. so we went to this art museum, and there were other nativity paintings. There were those nativity paintings, as you would expect, but there's another one. And I can't remember the artist, and we couldn't find... It was from the Renaissance, and we couldn't find it online. But it was the, the right half of the painting and sort of in the back was your nativity scene that you would expect. It was the manger and Mary and Joseph and some oxen and some sheep and some shepherds and just what you'd expect. In the foreground and to the left, there was a person that was going to the market a person who was doing the laundry, a person who was cleaning out the stables, a person you know, going about their everyday business. It was really powerful. Because what it said is, there is eternity going on over here, but these people were oblivious. They were so caught up in their everyday activities that they couldn't see eternity going on it was a really powerful statement because this happens to us all the time we become oblivious to the to the invasion of eternity that's happening right now someplace for us they're not paying any attention to it it may and we may look at it and say well when does this happen There's a symmetry to to this narrative, which I hadn't really appreciated until this year, that it begins with two elderly people, an elderly man and an elderly woman, who had been expecting and waiting and praying, Zechariah and Elizabeth. It then goes to a teenager, Mary, who had no expectation, a sudden occurrence. It then continues with probably more teenagers, the shepherds, who, again, had no preparation and no experience, no reason to think the eternity was going to break in. And then it wraps up with another elderly, elderly man and an elderly woman, Simeon and Anna, who had been faithful for all these years expecting it to break in. There's a symmetry to the story that says it encompasses all of these things. Young, old, expectant people, people who are caught off guard, all of them... Eternity breaks in, they respond with praise, with joy, with worship, and by telling others. their Their faith allowed them to see what was not yet visible. What was real, but was not yet visible to their eyes. Or what was visible to their eyes, but was only an indicator of a much bigger reality. It was, after all, he was a six-weeks-old baby. But they could see him, but they saw the bigger reality behind it. That was the faith. So God comes into the world in astonishing ways, both for those who expect him and for those who don't, in places where we don't think he's going to happen, the fields, places where we think he might, the temple, but sometimes we're so busy with our everyday activities that we, don't, that we miss it. My hope for the year is I want to have eyes to see the work that God is doing around me. And maybe if I could suggest, having no, no authority, no permission from you to tell you what to do with your lives, but if I could suggest it, I would suggest that we, as followers of Christ, that this would be something that we could do. That we would not be oblivious. That we would not be so caught up in our everyday things that we would fail to see God at work. That we would have the eyes to see God at work around us, inviting us to be a participant in his coming kingdom. And that we would help each other do that in whatever form it takes. Let me pray. Lord, we are so privileged to be participants with you. We don't necessarily think about that. We kind of go about our lives every day and we maybe get caught up in the things and we're not seeing you're at work when we should. But we know you're always at work. Give us the eyes of faith to see that to see things that are not yet real or that are bigger than we imagine them to be. I thank you, Lord, for Cascade Covenant. I thank you for the the people here and how you have used them, so many of them, to help me in my walk of faith. In the name of Christ, amen.